Bloody Elbow presents the sixth round post-fight show, which gives you a rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on this weekend's UFC event. Hey everybody, welcome back to the sixth round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. We're coming to you guys straight from the end of UFC Paris, going down to the Accor Arena in Paris, France, and uh, it was a thriller, you know? Absolutely oh, fire main event and uh, solid card all the rest of the way, too. Yeah, really good energy in Paris. Uh, excuse my voice. I'm a little hoarse. I spent last night yelling like crazy at the Virginia Tech ODU game. I think it was nuts. <laughs> so I'm a little hoarse, but it was worth it. Uh, but yeah, man, this was this was so much fun. The the energy, you know, kind of how the Ireland cards are, mm-hmm. and sometimes the UK cards or the English English cards. They're just the crowd is just so enthusiastic, and like the first round was pretty pedestrian here in the main event, right? Yeah, the crowd didn't even care. They're like, oh, that's our time to start chanting and and singing and the French anthem and, and like all that kind of. It stuff. was so much fun, like so yeah. much fun. I, I was I'm. And this is the first one ever. This is historic. This is a yep. historic night. I mean, what? I think January 1st, 2020 was when MMA finally became legal in France mm-hmm. after a long time. So great night. I mean, I, I, I think the UFC hit a home run here, yeah, especially they, with that main event. <laughs> yeah. And they lined the card up pretty much top to bottom, too, with really good matchups for all the French fighters. Mm-hmm. You know, not even easy fights like. Ziam Figlak, uh, you know, Gomi Aarons, Imavab Buckley, none of these fights were easy. Yeah. But they were all just the right fights to showcase the quality of the French talent the UFC has and uh, keep the keep the crowd hyper engaged all the way through. So yeah. Really yeah. fun night. Went, the French the French went undefeated tonight, right? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, even though we ended up with six decisions, pretty much all of them were fun. I don't think there was yeah. one deci- decision. Like, Hawk Pross McDessie was maybe, like, the least interesting of the decisions. And that was still a fun start. Or a fun fight. Uh, I mean, not to split hairs, but I think the Gomi Aarons one was a little a little more lackluster. At least we got a knockdown fair. from sure. Hawk Arrest. Fair enough, fair enough. But yeah, but they were all engaging and fun, and and not one time was I bored throughout the whole event. So yeah, the pacing was was pretty cool. I, I mean, I don't, honestly saying I don't think I have any complaints. No, no complaints. It's in the morning, even for me. It's in the midday for you. You get an evening. I get an evening. It's all yeah. good times. Yeah, it was it was crazy because the card started at noon for me, and I had to go do this five k bubble run with my niece earlier and that started at nine i was like yeah i gotta go to work and so uh it's you know 3.1 miles and she started to peter out like halfway through and i was like uh uh-uh, hop on the back so i started running with her like on my back i was like i'm making it to this card um nice. but yeah i mean i was i had time to get some food in me and have a nice afternoon of violence it was great so yeah Tui boss we were just talking about this heading in and you know started out a little tepid but I and I was worried that Tuivasa just wouldn't have the footwork to ever catch up with Cyril Gaon at any point. You know, yeah, I've seen that happen. Uh, certainly against with Derek Lewis, he could never catch Gaon. 
but credit to Ivasa, he's got the speed, he's got the uh, that quick burst dynamic ability that he was able to put some serious hands on Gon at some at you know uh, in the second round and turn this into a real war, turn this into a fight that Gon felt like he had to come back and win decisively and not just be able to skate through and stick and move and pick his pick Tuivasa apart. Man, that second round was so crazy. It was. It, it's, it seemed like Tuivasa was getting a little frustrated out there. Yeah. He he just wasn't able to get anything going, and then he was just like, F it, I'm, I'm going in. And he did it at the perfect time, dropped Gone, pounced on him, looked like he was about to finish him, but Gone mm-hmm. instinctually started wrestling, smart move. And then once he got up, he just instinctually kicked to the body like yep. really hard a couple times and that hurt Tuivasa and it's like, what? And you know, Tuivasa, if he's hurt, he's going to keep swinging. That's, that's something I love about him. Yeah. And you know, gone was getting cracked with big shots after that and he was eating them. And I'm like, how is he, how is he absorbing these after he just got dropped and Tuivasa okay. kept getting peppered to the body and, but he, he stayed up from it. I'm like, how is he not dropping? Like, <laughs> Those kicks would have cut anybody else in half. Yeah. Crazy, crazy second round. And then Absolutely. the third round. Oh, that that sequence was just ridiculous. Like, teeps to the body all day. A million teeps to the body. And I was like, okay, he's going to get a, a body TKO here. But then he comes with these nasty hands. A crisp mm-hmm. right hand rocks to Ivasa, drops him, and just pounds him out. Like, wow, what a heart. What heart gone yep. has. It was gorgeous. And too, I mean, you know, you really want to talk about like showing the value of good technique and good, clean, like clean technical fighting. When Gon got hurt, he was able to revert straight to like just popping the jab, get the range tools out there, keep the body, pop the jab, hit the low kick, stay on your bike. All the things that he was wanted to, you know, that his body defaulted to naturally were things that kept him really safe and out of harm's way. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas for Tui Vasa, there, there's a reason why there's fundamentals. Yep. And for Tui Vasa, once he started getting hurt, he didn't have any of those same options. You know, there's nothing in Tui Vasa's game that he could pull from for getting hurt other than just if you step near me, no matter how hurt I am, I'm going to try to club you as hard as I can. And honestly, I mean, that goes a, a long way at heavyweight. Yeah. Like does. that's kind of like what you want. It's yeah. actually pretty rare to see someone in the heavyweight division when they're stung. <laughs> To actually, uh, you know, have the sort of depth in his tool shed to, and have it so ingrained in who he is to, you know, so well trained and polished with his technique, you know, that he yeah. he's able to not even have to think. Mm-hmm. Like the same things he was doing when he was hurt were the same things he was doing when he wasn't hurt. Yeah, I mean, he said he even said right afterward, like he, he knocked me out. You know, like. Not even like, oh, I was a little hurt or, oh, that was, you know, a little scary there for a second. Just like, no, I, you know, he knocked me out and I woke back up and got up. Yeah, so. credit to Tui Vasa for bringing the fight out of him. Yeah. That's for sure. We got to see him tested. And like, and and the, the Francis Naganu fight was so crazy uh, in terms of like, we didn't really see that. Like, Gon really didn't eat those yeah. giant shots. He, he got out grappled. Mm-hmm. So this was like the first time we really saw Gon in jeopardy, like really saw him have to dig deep and and show his mettle and show that, you know, he does have heart. He does have a chin, even though he got dropped. That punch would have dropped anybody. 
Yeah. So I think we learned a lot about Gon tonight, and mm-hmm. he's kind of separating himself. There's Francis Naganu, and there's Cyril Gon, and then there's everybody else. Yeah. So we, one of the things that's been brought up that we've been uh, seeing around on Twitter and has been leaking out into the ether now is that people are trying to talk like, well, what about John Jones versus Cyril Gon? Or, uh, you know, because, I mean, there's been this talk for a while now that it'd be John Jones against Stipe, but that fight doesn't really feel like it's any closer to happening, you know? Well, I mean, Gon versus John Jones sounds even further away, if I'm being completely honest. I don't see Jones taking that fight. Yeah. I really really don't. No, I think think he has his eyes set on Stipe, someone who's – uh, you know, he's been the undisputed champion before. It's a lot easier of a fight, I would say, with the miles that Stipe has on him. Stipe's more aged. You know, Gon's in his prime. I'm not quite so mm-hmm. sure that, that John would want that as his first heavyweight combat I mean, fight. Yeah, there, I mean, there's just a part of me, too, that's also, you know, just kind of wondering, is Stipe going to fight again? Yeah, but, uh, true. Yeah, it doesn't like. I mean, John. When, whenever this kind of topic comes up, my my feeling is still just kind of like, man, I need to see John Jones at heavyweight before I start thinking about him at heavyweight. You know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, John Jones might never fight again. So, yeah, you know, exactly. Like we've been hearing about again. this. We've been hearing about this move forever now. So it's just, yeah. it's almost like you know, talking about Conor McGregor coming back. Mm-hmm. It's like maybe. Yeah, it's fun to think about. I'd sure. like to see it, but will it ever happen? We don't know. Time will tell. But uh, I, I really – and everyone's going to want the Francis fight next, the rematch. But I honestly, yeah. I want to see him fight Curtis Blades. Sure, sure. I just want to see the mat, the stylistic matchup. I just want to yeah. see it. I mean, we, we're just in such a weird, awkward backlog position right now where if, if Jones-Miocic does happen, then that's probably going to trump gone or blades or anybody else's potential for a title shot you know mm-hmm. the winner coming out of that fight is going to be if you're francis and gone that's the dude you want to face like you you beat curtis blades twice you went out and beat cyril gone already you you're going to want this you know much higher profile more interesting fun matchup and yeah it's just you know too, with the whole idea of Jones at heavyweight, not only will I have to like see it to believe it, but I'll have, also have to see him beat any top tier light heavyweight before I start thinking like he's gonna really make weight. Give me top top tier heavyweight. Or heavy, yeah, top tier heavyweight. Honestly, but did Francis ever resign? Yeah, not yet, but <laughs> so he might not even fight in the UFC. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, not yet, but he was cage side for this event. He was in the building for this event. Uh, he had been talking about wanting to fight in the UFC before the end of the year in the past few months. And even when this all started, he when he was talking about wanting to box um, Tyson Fury. Fury, he was still saying that he wanted to do that with an event that was co-promoted by the UFC, ideally in his mind. He wants the UFC on board for that. So I, I think the signs are still pretty good that Francis Ngannou is going to re-sign with the UFC, but it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. So it is definitely getting weird at heavyweight. Yeah. 
Um, but this fight was fantastic. And yeah. it could have easily been boring and just a neutralizing kind of mm-hmm. five-round slog. But Tuivasa, yeah. you know, he showed up. And he made exactly. he made gone fight, and we're all better for it. Yeah, I mean, too, for Tuivasa, you know, okay, so your first trip to the top of the mountain didn't go all that well. But he's 29. Heavyweights last forever. If he can, you know, there's there's no there's no t- no saying that this is going to be the last time he's in title contention at all, you know. For sure, and he's always fun. Like I don't think yeah. his stock really drops from this fight. Uh, not at all. I would not be at all surprised to see him right back in a main event slot against another top tier heavyweight. You know, get out there and fight Alexander Volkov or. Fight uh, Jerzino Rosenstreich or somebody else like that. And they're just going to, you know, he's going to keep in that circle for as long as long as he's got fresh legs under him. I think the UFC will have a home for him as a top level fighter. Man, the UFC is so much better. Especially, you know, the heavyweight division is so much better with Tai Tuivasa. Like, in and out of the octagon, he is just so Mm -hmm. much fun. The Shui Vasa, that's something we didn't get in Paris. Did you, did you see that video of uh, the the UFC fighters give post-sex speeches that no, kept floating around on Twitter? Some some Aussie comedian interviewed. It, 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 it was a skit with like Jake Matthews, Tai Tuivasa, Tyson Pedro, and Robert Whitaker of like <laughs> interviewing them from the bed with the you know this lady next to him. You should check it out. It was pretty damn hilarious. Tuivasa was talking about getting finished in six seconds, and like, but but I think you know I think I got a rematch in me, and then he just like looked pan over to the woman, like, "Mm -mm." (laughs) oh my goodness, Uh, one, yeah. All right, that brings us to a middleweight bout: Robert Whitaker, Marvin Vittori. And I really thought going into this, I didn't think Marvin Vittori was going to win. I didn't pick him. I'm not that, you know, out there and wild. But I really thought that Marvin Vittori could make this a really close, tough fight on Whitaker. A lot closer than people thought because he's so tough and he's dedicated to pressure. And Whitaker, he like, you know, he, he likes to get in a bit of a firefight at times. And so I was like, yeah. you know. Maybe Vittori can make this happen. Maybe he can make something, make this close, make this feel like a real war. And Whitaker just styled on him. Well, he made the first round competitive. He made the first round competitive. But after that, once Whitaker got his reads, Vittori was just, it was pure frustration all the way, all the rest of the way. Like, my thing was like, what tools does Vittori have that A, Whitaker hasn't seen? Yeah. And B, that that could do because Vittori's not a knockout artist. No, he's not like he's not a fantastic wrestler. No. So like in what like he's just going to like outpace Whitaker or like out hustle him. Like I didn't I had no clear defined path to victory. Whereas with Whitaker, I figured Whitaker could probably out wrestle Vittori. He could outstrike him. He could probably Uh even finish him. Yeah, he's got venom. I no, like I said, I didn't pick. I wasn't going to pick against Whitaker. I couldn't see a path for Vittori to win. I could just see a path for Victoria or for Vittori to have like the first round for three rounds, mix it up, make it tough, keep it close, you know. But no, nope. Whitaker really slammed the door on him. I mean, 
I think that the uh, his countering off of Vittori's combos and those high kicks, the way he can chain up, change up exactly what you know Vittori had to expect each time he stepped in, and that he would Whitaker would always get the last word on every exchange. It really put Vittori in a place where he did not want to step in anymore. Oh yeah, that four progress quickly mm-hmm. slowed when he started getting stung. Yep. And I don't, man, he ate some hard head kicks too. He did. He ate some hard right hands. I mean, the chin has always been there for Vittori. Yep. It's just the uh, the tool shed isn't there. No. You know, he's a tryhard for sure. Yeah. He goes after it. He tries to win with what he has, but. Whitaker is just an elite or as elite as it gets outside of Adesanya. Yep. Like it's he's he's so world class, totally polished everywhere. Not I mean, what are Whitaker's weaknesses? Not being able to beat Adesanya? That's not yeah, really that, a weakness. We got the Holloway uh the, the Holloway Volkanovsky problem all over again. You got two dudes right there at the pinnacle of the division. They you know one of them has the advantage over the other, but they have the advantage over everybody else. Yeah. What I love about Whitaker is he's so down to fight anybody. Mm-hmm. Like he really doesn't put the belt on a pedestal. No, I really respect that. That's a hard, like, I feel like having that mindset really, really prevents some uh, low points in his life. So, you know, now what fight needs to happen next for Whitaker? Um, you want me to say Derek Brunson? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I don't want you I to could say see him. That. I could, I could watch him fight Paulo Costa. He could fight Paulo Costa, but the fight that really needs to happen for Robert Whitaker? Cannoneer, who? Alex Pereira. Isn't he fighting Izzy next? Yeah, but win or lose to Izzy. If he oh. beats Izzy, Whitaker's next in line for a title shot. Make that fight. If he loses to Izzy... Whitaker, Whitaker Pereira, like sure, that's the fight I, to make. I would love to see Robert Whitaker uh, break out his wrestling bag. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Sure, that's that's the fight out there that I, you know that he should be gunning for. And obviously, Izzy might, you know, might be Izzy loses and gets an immediate rematch. And so maybe we have to take some time and wait. Whitaker could always, you know, there was some some tight there, there was some talk. Ahead going in ahead of this fight about him going up to light heavyweight. Uh, if he wants to fight y- Jan Blahovich, I'd be 100% out there down for Whitaker Blahovich. At 205? Yeah. What? Whitaker has said that he would be willing, he'd be interested in going up and trying himself a light heavyweight. That would be nuts. Is he trying he was a, to? He, he, was a, he was a welterweight. Yeah, but Izzy's never been 170, I don't think. No, but, you know, I'd still... I'd, I mean, sure. I'll Why not? Whatever is what I'm saying. For sure. For sure. He always shows up consistently Robert Whitaker every single time. Yeah. Like, but, yeah, I mean, why not... Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so up for him to um, just keep claiming bodies at 85 mm-hmm. and, like, legitimately, I don't want to say earn, but earn... A title shot again. Sure. Because yeah, it's just I mean, that good. But it's like, I need a little bit of time before he fights Izzy again. Right. Yeah. You've got Duplessis, you've got Imavov, you've got uh, 
Uh, let's see, Andre Muniz. They're all the new crop of guys on the rise, you know. And throw Whitaker, one of them, maybe. I think but, you should fight Paulo Costa. You, yeah, you're going for Paulo Costa. All right, he did. Yeah, yeah, he's coming off that win over Luke Rockhold. I was still thinking of him as coming off that loss to Marvin Vittori, but it's true. He's coming off a win. He's also, though, not technically in the UFC. I don't think he's technically signed to the UFC anymore. Oh, he's getting re-signed. There ain't no way he's going anywhere. I don't know. He's talking like he wants to, but we'll see. I, I, I would assume they re-sign him as well. But I think that makes a lot of sense, though. Like, yeah. Rockhold was a former champ. All right, cool. You beat him. Now, sure. go, go try your hand at Robert Whitaker. Like, sure. I feel like Costa, you know, he, he's one of those guys who just, like, instantly went to the top. And, like, he's in that certain that certain brow, like that certain – he's on that shelf with the top fighters and mm-hmm. could easily just, you know, two fights – always, like, two fights away from a title shot. Yep. I'm not saying he's, like, the best in the world or anything like that. I'm just saying – just everything he brings, all the drama, you know, his physique, just he's got the it factor. So that always puts him as True. in a, in that kind of conversation. True. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Oh, I, I should also just say, too, rough, lu- rough luck for Vittori, though, because he's really getting shut out of. I mean, he's beat Costa. He'll be he'll be there in the top 10. No question. But he's really getting shut out of any kind of title talk. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's just like I was saying, just that the depth of his tool shed just isn't yeah. there. He's he's a tryhard. He's you know the efforts there. Yep. You know, but he just lacks a certain polish, and he's still pretty young, right? So maybe he's twenty eight. It's true. He is only twenty eight. I forgot how how early he started. He started at eighteen. So yeah. And he's with the great camp. True. So maybe further down the line. Yeah. But I, I feel like his biggest thing is like if he could just find some way to deliver some venom. Yeah. Then he would be a lot more successful because he has the aggression. Like he's so down to come forward, but yep. he's just not really hurting people when he does. True. It's weird too because he's like such a little orc golem like. <clears throat> But we've, we've we've seen it before though, like with Drew yeah. Dober. Like he needs yeah. to go hang out with Drew Dober and, and have True. some conversations. Yeah. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Nasuddin Imavov, Joaquin Buckley, and uh yes, it's a war. This became a banger. It, it really became did. a full on banger. Imavov was out he he really outclassed Buckley for two solid rounds. Just yeah. You know, took him down whenever Buckley gave him space, countered him every time he stepped in, really was having things all his own way. But then he started to get a little tired, and Joaquin Buckley, like, he might be tired, but you cannot stop him from fighting absolutely as hard as possible at any given moment. Yeah, I respect it. Yeah. I dig his moxie, you know? It's... He'll fight to the very last second. If there's if there's time left on the clock and he's still in it, he's he's swinging and he has the power to do damage. Mm-hmm. And I think Imovov went really hard in those first two rounds, and he was fading badly yeah. on the third. Like, he was badly. I was I was a little surprised that he didn't get knocked out. And like he, despite being totally gassed, he yep. was still able to uh, counter with some stiff right hands 
that were just enough to make Buckley stop for a second so yeah. we can, you know, get further out of range. From one judge to win the round, which is disastrous yeah. piece of judging, but, you know. That's, that's, that's some home cooking at its finest right there. Yeah. But great showing to me from Imavov to just totally outclass Buckley for a couple rounds. And it's a great, you know, it's a kind of fight that didn't diminish anybody because Imavov showed his technical skill and then Buckley comes back and shows all the heart and the toughness and the will to win that you want to see out of a guy who's, you know, knows he's down two rounds and has to finish a fight to win it. Yeah, I mean, it was a great showing from both guys. Being down two rounds, like, badly, and, and still going for it the way Buckley did, like, his stock doesn't drop from this either. No. And, man, Imavov was really flirting with uh, a danger. <laughs> he was, like, doing everything in his power to get a point taken away. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. That, that is not a dude that you that, – uh, if you're his coaches, you want to make sure that he doesn't – try to, like, get into a war of words with his opponent leading up to the event. Like, don't don't be beefing with anybody. Don't go on social media and start running, you know, posts and all that because it's clear, like, that that really got to him in a way that, yeah, he almost got points taken. And the way he just wasn't respecting the referee, mm-hmm. the referee's position, like, that's, uh, you got to be careful there. Yeah, exactly. Like that is, I, you see, I've seen that in other fighters where they just get so hyper focused and so angry at their opponent or whatever that they're not, they're not listening to anybody else. And it's just like, yeah, that's you know, aggression is good, but you got to be able to be a little bit aware of your surroundings because that's how people get DQ'd. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Regardless of the point, yeah. you absolutely just get. Man, but he's he's damn good though. I gotta say, he is. He's like, he's a hell of an opportunist fighter. Great performance and so composed. Oh my god, is he composed out there? Like even when he was gassed, he was still pretty composed and clearly knew what he wanted to do through fatigue, like instinctually uh, clinching up and, like I said, landing that counter right hand when he mm-hmm. found his opportunity and staying just out of range when he could and hell of a chin too i gotta say because he ate yep. some whoppers he yep. ate some big whoppers and, and stayed standing stayed in it yeah so, and he looks huge by the way he he's is so huge. much bigger than buckley out there yeah i really want to see him fight Dricus duplessis now just absolutely absolutely Two huge guys, one perfectly composed and one totally uncomposed, both of them with a lot of power. Just seems like it would be a real wild war. Honestly, I think it would look like this, the third round of this fight the whole time. Mm-hmm. I think Until like, someone drops. Oh, that gets me going, Zane. That gets yeah. me going. All right, let's jump over to another middleweight bout. All the middleweights on this card. Roman. You Topol. get a middleweight. You get a middleweight. You get a middleweight. Uh, Roman Kapalov, Alessio DiCirico. This, for me, this is the performance I've been looking for out of Kapalov since he got signed to the UFC. Where he, on the regional scene, you go back, you look at his fights when he was fighting for like Fight Nights Global or whatever it was. I can't even remember now. But he was a dude who, on the regionals, was like a slow building, war of attrition 
pick you apart with volume and come back tough late in the fight to really break an opponent. And in the UFC, he's just been getting bullied with before, you know, without being able to get that. And he's even had good third rounds in his fights before, but they were just they were way too one-sided against him leading up to that. And uh, he finally, you know, DeChirco, A, gave him a little more space and a little more time to work than uh, Durayev and, um, oh, damn it, Carl Roberson did. Mm-hmm. But Kapilov also, you know, he, I think he got over some of the jitters and some of the idea that opponents were going to automatically give him respect. And he came out throwing a lot and looking a lot more busy in this fight than he has before. Yeah, he definitely did. Uh, it's good to see Chase Hooper bulking up. That's yeah, nice yeah. to see. Looking, looking strong out there. 3,000. That's right. All the protein shakes. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, nah, but uh, he just, Kobolov has extremely poor reactions to punches coming at him. It's true. Extremely poor, and that gets him into trouble. I think his saving grace here was how much faster, how much more yeah. hand speed he had than DeKirico. And the the fact that DeKirico loads up on everything, mm-hmm. which gave Kopalov just enough time to get out of the way. Like maybe one would land, but I, I, I think I only remember one time that Alessio actually landed more than one punch at a time. Yeah, DeKirico has always had that that problem where he's whatever he's doing, whether it's grappling or it's wrestling or it's striking, he's a very one idea at a time fighter. You know, be like, okay, I'm going for the double leg and I can't get it. And I'm not like, there's not going to be a switch up to another thing. Or I'm yeah. going for, you know, the rear naked choke or whatever, or the back take. And it's just, that's the only idea. There's not a mm-hmm. flow t- between any of the parts of his game. It's checkers. Yeah. Kapalov, you know, I'm the glad checkers. to see him get a win in the UFC because it's been tough going for him. And this was a fun fight. Like, it was. That that was a damned hell of a combination you put together at the end there to, to knock Dekirko to, to out. Boy, that was a perfect storm. If there was mm-hmm. ever the perfect time to throw more than two punches and just let them all rip, it just so happened to be the time where Dekirko was like, I'm just going to drop my hands for a second. Yep. Like, ooh, and that was a pretty nasty face plant he did. Yeah, he did. Uh, this was uh, definitely a great performance for Coppola. Something to build off yep. of. Definitely. But man, I really think he needs to he needs to deal with that uh those reactions. Yeah. I, like, I, I, I always it gets me nervous when he gets, steps into the pocket. Yeah, I feel you. All right, that brings us to a featherweight bout. Two newcomers, William Gomes against Jarno Aaron's, uh, and both guys are raw. Mm-hmm. Both guys have a lot of work to do, but it's a pretty fun back and forth fight. The first. 10-10 round scored in like five or six years, I think. Okay, because I couldn't figure out the 29-29 thing. Yeah, they scored one judge scored the third round, a 10-10 round. Mm. And I get it. Gomi's won a lot of the positions. He got the takedown. He landed some ground and pound. He had the better round for most of it, and then he got caught in a submission. And the right. submission was the biggest thing that happened in that round. And one judge is just like, you know, I'm just going to say these cancel each other out, which logically in a vacuum, I can see the reasoning. 
there are a lot of rounds in MMA that are very close and that you could score 10-10. But also, yes. but also that dude is probably never going to work a high-level fight again. Because... I don't know about that. That is... Like, nobody does that. Nobody... It is discouraged on every level from every every single person. Well, sure, because it's like, well, what's the point of judging? Exactly. Like, you have that's your job. That's like your only job is to pick a winner. Yeah. Whether whether the round was close or not, you have to you have to at least flip a coin and make a decision. Yeah. Um, I respect them for having the balls to even do the ten ten for sure. Sure. But yeah, I think it's kind of cheap. And the whole time I'm like, I did not see a ten eight out there. Like, what's going no. on? Like, that's where my mind automatically yeah. goes when I see something like that. But damn, a ten ten. It's the first one I think ever recorded in the moment for MMA decisions. Like, wow, you, this is not something that anybody does. And well, me, these me, are the, were these these were French judges. Mix it. Right? It's a mix. It was half the UFC's own. This judge was a French judge. Okay. Well, you know how the French do. <laughs> it's, it's more laissez faire, you know, as you please. It's, it's, uh, it's what the French call it's what the French call les incompetents. <laughs> if you've ever seen Home Alone, mm. you'll get where that's from. But yeah, I you know, I, I would assume that if the UFC comes back to Paris anytime in the near future, they will make sure that that dude is not repping or is not judging cards. Yeah, I mean. Maybe he just needs some training. I mean, he, I don't know. He, I'm sure he'll he'll judge plenty of other cards. I'm just saying that, like, you know, for big high-level events, people are probably going to remember that. And they'll be like, I don't want that guy. <laughs> Get him out of here. Well, it's not the worst the worst uh, scorecard we've ever seen. So. No, it's certainly not. I'm not going to crucify him too badly for it, that. It, well, but the thing is, is that, like, I'm not – and that's what I'm saying. I think it's logical. I think it's – in, in a vacuum, it's fine. It's it's way less bad than so many other things we've seen. It's just that when you hear like judges talk or you know instructors talk about how they teach judging and all the seminars and all that, like it is actually totally incorrect as for how fights are supposed to be judged. No, I mean I appreciate the honesty. Yeah. But me myself, like I pretty much score every fight I watch just for myself. Yeah. I don't ever put 10 10. No. I'll just pick one and then put like a little question mark. Yeah. And you like, like the first round of Vittori and Whitaker. I thought that was super close. I threw a little question mark out there. Yeah. And that's okay. But I picked. Yeah. I made a but, choice. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying is that like in, in, the, in the realm of judging, much more so than like giving, you know, scoring the third round from Nasadin Imabal. Like that's just a, that's some bad. You know, just like really, what are you watching, judge? Kind of scoring, but it's defensible because it's within the realms of how fights are supposed to be judged. You're never Is that the same judge. To... I don't think so. No, it wasn't actually. I, I know it okay. wasn't. It's 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 defensible because it's how fights are supposed to be. It's like okay, well, you had your subjective opinion. We think it's wrong, but that's fine. But you're never supposed to hand out ten ten rounds. Like that's basically just a placeholder idea. For the most like Carla Esparza Rose Nami Yunus situation, where two fighters just stared at each other. True. Yeah. 
<laughs> Those should have been all 10 10 rounds. They should have. All right. That brings us to a featherweight bout. Another, like Whitaker Vittori, another super top class, absolutely wonderful display of ability. Nathaniel Wood, Charles Jordan. I was really worried about, you know, Wood's 5'5. Five, five. Like, he's, he was short for a bantamweight. He's becoming progressively tiny as he, you know, moving up a division into featherweight. And that's just like, Jordan's powerful. How is Wood going to handle this? Can he really sit down in there and trade with dudes in this division? Mm-hmm. And he was winning the exchanges. When it came to power in the pocket, it was Wood winning every time. Yeah, that was a little surprising. I got to be honest. It was. He was the harder puncher out there. I didn't see that coming. No. And yeah, to your point, this was exceptional fighting up close. It really was. Like, the close quarter fighting, it was so... Like, both guys were landing just beautiful combinations. They were clean, technical, crisp. And, I mean, I just... I loved it. It, They were either fighting in the clinch or they were fighting in the phone booth. And Wood was just a little sharper, a little faster, hit a little harder. And... And we were ta- I was talking about this with Connor the other day when we were we were pre-recording our Vivi for next week because he was he's going to be gone. But we're talking about like how really good strikers they don't just like go out and put up numbers on their opponent and land shots and hurt. They also strike in ways that stop their opponent from working and stop their opponent from being able to throw back at them and stop their opponent from being able to hurt them. And that was Wood in this fight. Like those little foot sweep trips he kept hitting in the oh in, my God. in the clinch and stuff like and the the counters he was finding and like the slip counters the head movement the parrying the offense he was creating not just the defense the offense he was creating to it stopped Charles Jordan from being able to be Charles Jordan mm-hmm. like it stopped him from being able to go out there and fire wild exciting dynamic counters or dynamic moments like a jump knee and stuff like that. It just it shut him out. It yeah. was great fighting. The fundamentals, the basic yeah. fun- and I'm so big on fundamentals. Like they, they will carry you so far. And you know, a lot of times we'll see guys who might not have the same sort of polish, like lure the other guy into crazy brawls. Mm-hmm. But this is one of the this is a time where the more technical fighter lured the other guy, the more wild man into a technical fight. Yep. And that's not what Jordan needed. Jordan needs to be doing crazy stuff and spinning crazy jump kicks and he needs to be flashy and because that's that's where he thrives. Yeah. Like he's 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 exceptional in the chaos. And Wood's like, nah, you're gonna have to out technique me because yep. we're not we're not brawling. And if we are gonna brawl, it's gonna be a technical brawl and you're gonna lose that too. Yep. Great really- fight. Really great performance from Wood. I think maybe a fight with like with somebody like Sadiq Yusuf maybe could be in the offing. Ooh, Sadiq's nasty. I'm I'm down for that. Yeah, just you know, get push, start pushing him up towards the top fifteen. We need we need him in in some big fights now. Yeah, I think he's ready. He's got the tools. Yeah. Um, I think. Well, I, I guess we're out of guys named Charles, right? That's Charles is in a row. That's right. And I think I think he's proved that he's got the venom to compete at 145, even if he's not the largest guy out there. He's got yeah. he's got the speed and the technique can make up for a lot. And you know he does he does carry power. Yeah. And 
yeah, so I'm, I think, I, I think I'm down to seeing him fight someone ranked at 45. Yeah. Get, get him in there. Put him in the mix. See what he can do. Make some waves. All right. That brings us to a middleweight bout. Abus Magomedov, or Magomedov, taking on Dustin Stoltzfus, and he just ran him over. Just threw him out of the cage, pretty much. <laughs> this was a shellacking. Yeah, a shellacking. I guess Magomedov had somewhere to be. Yeah, no kidding. 19 second TKO, and I would I would have even argued that it was a knockout. Frankly, mm, like yeah, he just trucked him. It was one front kick and then like three uppercuts afterward. Man, that front kick to the face was so epic. Like mm-hmm. right away, Stoltzfus is like, oh, I don't know where I am right now. Yeah, and those follow up punches were so perfect too. Like just perfect. Like he had Stoltzfus leaning right into him. Yep. This was wicked. Beautiful stuff. Great debut. All right. We'll move on. Lightweight battle. Nazareth Hawkfrost. John McDessie. And um, not not the card's thriller. Right. But honestly, a performance Hawkfrost really needed pretty badly. Yeah, he definitely needed it. And I feel like when you have guys who used to be former teammates, you know, yeah. we tend to get these sort of sparring matches happen out there because mm-hmm. they're so familiar with each other and they respect each other's talents so much and their skill set that, you know, they get a little boring, I'll say, mm-hmm. um, because they just they they've been tagged with so many different things, trying their own tricks that they know, like like so you will go back and watch this fight. Hackparass pulled back on so many kicks because he like just knew the counter would be coming, mm-hmm. and so he didn't even pull the trigger on them. Um, but he, on the same token, he was ready for McDessie's spinning back fist. That's a yep. tool that he uses often, and he was ready for it. And like I said earlier, he dropped him in the second round with that, the most exciting moment of the fight. Yep. Uh, but as the fight went on, I think Nazareth did a better job of kind of settling in and respecting McDessie less. And, mm-hmm. I mean, McDessie, I think he kind of went for it in the third round. He was pressuring a lot, just, you know, kind of old and, you know. Yeah, he just – he he couldn't really get past the jab from Hawk Frost. Like, you know, there were moments when he could. There were moments when he put it together, and he, he out-low kicked Hawk Frost by a fair margin. Yeah. But he couldn't ever really fight his way into the pocket to let go with his hands the way he did against uh, Ignacio Bahamandes, you know. Yeah, he uh, he just didn't seem confident in his hands. His punches couldn't get there because he's so content to stand at a striking range or a yeah. kicking range, which is effective in its own right, but wasn't doing the damage he needed to do to win this fight. Yeah, solid performance for Hawk Frost. Breaks him off a two-fight losing skid. So, like I said, he this was a this was a win he he needed pretty badly. And for Mike Desi, you know, he's he's always been a win one lose one kind of lightweight action fighter in the middle of the division. So no real. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. He's still in the UFC after all this time. Right. Yeah. 37. He's been in the UFC since 2010. Wow. That's very rare. Very rare. It it is. He's never been cut. Been, you know, just rocking it all the way through. Did he retire once? Uh, no, I think he had a pretty, he might have, like, had a, pr- a couple of uh, pretty notable injuries at some point. But I don't think he ever actually retired. Huh. Well, good on him. Put some respect on his name. Yeah. 
All right. That brings us to a lightweight bout. Faris Ziam against Michael Figlock. And uh, this was a pretty good fight for, for Ziam. Kind of an unfortunate learning moment for Figlock, I think. Yeah, it seemed like no matter where Figlock went or tried to take the fight, he was losing. Yeah. He, he was, he was like, it was competitive, but ultimately he was, he was still getting outclassed everywhere. Like, yeah. In the striking, he was getting outclassed. He would go into the clinch, get reversed or taken down, getting outclassed there on the ground, getting outclassed, couldn't get his submissions going. I mean, just everywhere he turned, he was just getting bested. And yeah. That's, I mean, that's for for us. Is that for us? For us? For, for us. Yeah. For us. Credit yeah. to him. I mean, just looked really sharp out there, stayed a couple steps ahead, and just seemed really well prepared to compete and excel where, you know, wherever the fight went. Yeah. Big Locks, you know, this is kind of maybe a wake up call for, I think this is his first pro loss, but maybe a bit of a wake up call for him that, you know, on, on the regionals on cage warriors, he was, he's, he, which is, you know, it's a great place to prepare you for this kind of step up, but he was largely a boxer who wasn't finishing people even at the cage warriors level, even at that level, he was, you know, spending a lot of time in the pocket, being busy, going to the body, going to the head, mixing things up, be, putting together a fun skill, but it's, like just having an inside boxing game is a really limiting way to fight. And if you're not going to have power to go with that, where you're knocking people out left and right, then, you know, there are a lot of fighters that can find ways to stay out of that one range of yours or even compete with you in it and take the fights in other places where you can't compete. Yeah, I mean, he. I feel like he was doing well when the fight fight first started. Like he was bringing mm-hmm. the pressure and and coming really close to landing some really big punches. But Zion just started tagging his leg up, even forced him to switch stances at one point. Yeah, like he just got out class, man. We'll say one thing I did like from it though that I, I believe it was Shiglock doing this. If I'm correct, if I'm remembering right, is that he would roll for arm bars a lot from his back. Yeah. And then you, but use the arm bar attack, like just the moment where he would attack to try and slip, sweep Zion mm-hmm. in that moment. Like, you know, it would be like, oh, I'm rolling for the arm bar. And the moment Zion started to pull back and react at all, he would let it go and then try to like grab a leg and sweep him. And I thought that was actually nice and like crafty and good ideas. It, it kept him from ever really getting hold or held down too much. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't work at, at really at any point, but no. it, it was good to see him have like not settle for getting just overwhelmed in any one position. Yeah, I mean, like like I said, he was competitive. Yeah, he just couldn't get any sort of offense going his way. Yeah. All right, that brings us to a lightweight bout: Benoit Saint Saint Denis against Gabriel Miranda, and this was just a banger, straight out slobber knocker mm-hmm. two dudes standing toe to toe and winging winging huge shots at each other and uh i don't know miranda didn't watch any of saint denis fights in the ufc his last two but i would say that's a pretty bad way to fight him is even uh even eliza zaleski got really tired and really sick of trying to hurt saint denis standing up yeah, man, that dude has a motor. 
<laughs> he really does. Like he's tough. He comes forward. He, wasn't he like French special forces or something? Yeah, I think like he was. The uh, dude is the dude is well trained and mentally tough, and you basically have to kill him to get him out of there. He's and, a paratrooper. Oh God! Yeah, those guys don't play. He's he served um, in Mali during the war, more generally in West Africa, fighting terrorist groups. So, uh, yeah, that's on that Mirko Krokot level. <laughs> he has seen some things. I will say this though: Miranda had a bitch and mustache. I think it was, it was a bitch and mustache. Didn't help him here, but damn, no. the thing was sweet. He's got some good. De- he has some, a good submission game when he can get down and get on top of people, but. Uh, the rest of his game is just not really all that well designed. So tough, tough debut for him. Great fight for Santini. Build great way to build some hype early in this card for the French fans. Oh yeah, he almost finished at the end of the first. Yeah. I, I thought he, I thought he was going to, but you know, he quickly uh, came out in the second and ended it. He was yeah. like, "My guy's hurt. I'm just going to go finish this right now," and he did. Yep, really fun fight. All right, that brings us to a bantamweight bout: Christian Quinones, Khalid Taha, and um, great win for great win for Quinones. Honestly, like looked really, really a lot sharper than I thought he'd look out there. Especially, the big thing to me was he really showed a great command understanding of the distance he wanted to fight at, mm-hmm. and a command of that distance. Just. Like, no, I am keeping – you are way shorter than me with way shorter arms. I am going to keep you at the end of my jab and fight off, fight behind a one-two and make you have to fight through range to reach me. No, it was – I'll say it's brilliant. This was yeah. brilliant. This is someone who was the longer fighter, fought to his body type, tons of straights, tons of, tons of jabs, crosses, beautiful footwork, stayed at range, didn't allow – the aggressive fighter to get where he needed to be to be successful, like you said, just commanded the cage. And yeah, man, this this was brilliant. Like, pretty the, the proof is in the pudding. There, landing that right hand. Like the moment he switches up from a straight punch to an overhand, he drops the dude. Yeah. Now, so I some people were saying this was an early stoppage. No, I didn't think so either. And here's why. So once. Quinones gets on top and he starts pounding away and the ref steps in. There's like a good, like maybe two seconds where Taha is still covered up as the ref is already on top of him, stopping the fight. That is not intelligently defending yourselves. I don't care who you are. Taha got hit really hard, really clean, three or four times. The first one dropped. The first one really wobbled him. I think the second one was an uppercut that dropped him. And then he got hit on the ground. And all through that segment, he did not appear to have his wits about him. And when the ref jumped in to cover to, you know, stop the fight, as you say, there's like a little delay there where he's covered up. He's not looking at his opponent. He's not intelligently defending himself. He does not know what is going on in that moment very clearly. And then he starts to protest when he realizes that the fight's been stopped. But, like, it's, you know, no. He didn't, he, he was he didn't in, know what was happening. He was in fetal mode. Yeah, exactly. He was in fetal mode, turned away, covered up, didn't even know that there was a different human being on top of him. Like, I understand being rocked in days, but you can 
be rocked and dazed, but turning away from your opponent, like yes, and just showing up, that's not defense. No. Like nowhere in the history of, of combat sports are, is anyone ever taught to do that. That's no. not a technique. That's no. that's survival. He was out. Yeah. He was out of the fight. It's fine. And, you know, people are always like, you know, and you see people who are like, oh, well, you know, it's MMA. You just have to drop somebody in the call. It's like, yeah, that's fine. Like the dude just suffered a concussion out there. There's no <laughs> there's no question as to what happened to Khalid Taha out there. He just got concussed. Right. And he dropped and he was in a position where he wasn't able to defend himself intelligently and he stopped yeah. it and that's fine. And maybe he recovers fairly fast, but so what? Like, yeah. Would he have recovered had the referee not stepped in? I doubt it. And I don't need to I see Taha it. go out. I don't no. need to see that. Yeah, exactly. And that brings us finally to our opening bout of the card, Stephanie Yeager, Eileen Perez. And, uh, this was, absolutely the most predictable result that this fight could have had which was that Perez would non-stop, even, even Egger, you know, they asked her like, oh were you surprised she went and like just chased you into the clinch and into takedowns over and over again and she's like, no I watched her fights and she does it all the time and you know it, it was a very clear you don't know what you don't know kind of performance from Perez where she's coming off the regionals she's used to being he- way bigger than her opponent's She's used to bullying them physically. And there was no way that she was going to get to the UFC in her first fight here, especially if not if she's confident, and she clearly is. There's no way she was going to step in there and think, oh, I'd better do everything differently now. Right. She had to be shown what she doesn't know. and Yeah, and it's a, it's tough because, I mean, Egger, she's got the, the credentials. Like, she is yes. a, a stout grappler, like mm-hmm. a, a, an amazing judoka. And... As much as I hate those head and arm throws, right? Yeah, you know it. It it works for her. You know, it, well, the it thing just, is too is that she was, you know, she's able to do it, and because she's an experienced judoka, she does it and chases it straight into a scarf hold mm-hmm. that she can transform into a scarf hold arm lock, or that she can transform into a arm bar opportunity, or that she can transform into it just a choke. And but you have to if you're going to do that technique, you have to know what you're commanding when you hit the ground. And she does. Yeah. And Perez, her path here, I felt like was the stand up. She was doing well out there. She should have kept it there, but she couldn't. She just couldn't help herself from closing the distance. Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Solid performance from Ager. Rough debut for Perez, but. Maybe this will, you know, give her a, a little bit of a reality check that she needed, that there are actually going to be people at this level now that are bigger and stronger than you, and you have to think about how you fight them a little bit. Or maybe it'll drive her down a weight class, and she'll be down at flyweight, because, you know, she's pretty bricked up, but she's she's only like 5'5". Five, five. Wasn't this at 45? Oh, yeah, actually, it was. But Egger's a natural... Or she's a, she's a bantamweight anyway. I mean, yeah, it's a good point. So, she, at least I think both women will be down at at bantamweight after this because Perez is supposed to fight Zara Fan, who is a featherweight, and Egger just stepped in on short notice to take the fight. So Egger is mm. definitely bantamweight, and it, it, this should be a wake up call for Perez that she is not a featherweight at the sure. very least. Like this woman, it, you're too small to beat this bantamweight. You need to think about. 
being 5-5 in the UFC and maybe not fighting, you know, maybe, maybe shedding some weight to get down further. Fair points. Yeah. All right. On that note, that wraps things up. You can find me on Twitter at the same time. You can find Eddie on Twitter at the Eddie Mercado. You can find both of us over at bloodyhello.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcast, Bloody o Presents on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all that good stuff. And we'll be back in one week's time for UFC 279, Chimaya vs. Diaz. Till then, see ya. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents, and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the MMA Vivisection, the Level Change Podcast, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, exclusive fighter interviews, show money, and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook, at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.